0: Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com.
1: Hey, this is Daniel Markin, and welcome to In Doubt. Today, I'm talking with Gary Stagg and he works for Open Doors Canada. And the ministry they do, it stems from the ministry of Brother Andrew, who was a Bible smuggler. And we get into talking a little bit about that. But what started off as a smuggling ministry now is very much a ministry that supports persecuted people around the world and and how Christianity is being shared and, and Christians are being edified in these hard to reach places where their lives are on the line. So super interesting conversation for us as we get to hear a little bit about the ministry that's happening around the world. Hey, welcome to Indoubt. this is Daniel Markin, and today I'm joined by Gary Stagg. Gary, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, thanks, and how about you? I'm doing well. So good to have you on the program. Thank you for joining us. You work with Open Doors Canada. Now, what is that? Tell us a little bit about some of the work that you do, and maybe tell us a little bit about who you are, and maybe where you're recording from right now.
0: Yeah, well, I'm recording from Ontario, just outside of Toronto, in a place called Halton Hills. Okay yeah so and uh open doors canada is actually part of a of an international ngo called open doors international and so we have offices all around the world that do the work that i'm doing and my job is to bring awareness uh, and to raise funds to uh, support the work that's happening all over the world open doors began um back in 1955 When um, a guy, you'd be interested in this because he was a young adult at the time who uh, felt God calling him to bring Bibles to the Christians behind the Iron Curtain because they were denied the Word of God. And so just on faith alone, he started, he packed up. First of all, I believe he went on a bicycle. Uh, That's all that he had. He was in Holland. (laughs) He's, he's, He's Dutch and so he crossed borders and 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 then eventually somebody heard about it they uh bought him a a volkswagen bug and the volkswagen bug is kind of iconic in our organization for that reason and uh, he packed up that volkswagen bug and would pray what is now kind of a classic prayer that uh famous prayer of his and he always would pray god in the Bible, you made blind eyes see. I'm asking you now to make seeing eyes blind. And this man has story after story after story of being able to go across borders and not being detected with the hundreds of Bibles that were in his car. It's all documented in um, what I believe is well. It's still a it's still a uh, a bestseller and st- very popular book in christian circles especially uh, again among young adults uh it's a book called god smuggler and brother andrew is the guy who um i'm referring to and um, he's become somewhat of a legend and a hero of the faith brother andrew just passed away actually um just a couple of weeks ago so you know god smuggler has passed on to Uh, passed into eternity at age 96. And we just thank God for his life because now the organization uh, serves Christians in persecuted Christians in uh, more than 60 countries around the world. I think it's closer to 70 countries around the world where uh, Christians suffer high levels of persecution. I think it comes as a surprise to a lot of people that there are approximately 360 million Christians. Those are the ones that we've documented. Uh, 360 million Christians today that suffer at least high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. Now that's one in seven Christians worldwide who suffer in that way. So that's that's quite a it's quite a high number.
1: No kidding. Uh, just jumping back, I uh, I have heard of Brother Andrew, and it's it's crazy that uh, my brother-in-law, not named Andrew, but <laughs> my brother, has been. Brother-in-law has been reading that book, and he was telling me all about it. And like what you said, making the eyes blind, there would literally be Red Army officers, you know, with the Iron Curtain, looking in the car. He's like, the guy's looking at Holy Bibles in this bag, because the bag was left open or whatever, and just let him pass through. Like, uh, crazy, crazy story there.
0: It's incredible. Story after story.
1: Now, was he kind of the founder of of Open Doors? Or is that you guys as an organization have, um, you know, taken an inspiration and been like, hey, we want to do the type of work that Brother Andrew was doing?
0: He's the founder, for sure. Right. Okay. And uh, for many years, uh, Open Doors was a Bible smuggling ministry, I would say. That's awesome. But as uh, you know, the when the Iron Curtain went down and the Berlin Wall came down and all that stuff. There was a bit of an identity crisis because we wondered now what are we going to do as as a as a ministry. But brother Andrew saw that you know there were many countries and of course millions of Christians around the world that were suffering different kinds of persecution, and so uh, that's when the ministry kind of pivoted and moved to uh, where we now serve people not just with Bible and literature distribution, but also with discipleship and leadership training. We offer trauma counseling. We offer urgent aid and Christian community development. We stand by them with prayer and a presence ministry where we take people from Western countries and go and uh, sit with them and just remind them that they are not alone, just very much like Brother Andrew did, because he was very personal. He always said that if we can't hand somebody, personally hand them a Bible, then we don't give it to them we don't drop them from planes or from hot air balloons and hope that they find them we we hand them to them personally so it's like a whole army of people and volunteers and people that are going on trips just to sit and pray with them just to and 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 this is very much clandestine as well because we have to go as tourists and and then we go and we will uh, secretly visit a house church or a small group at night and stuff like that so that we're not detected because still what they're doing is still illegal as they as they meet to in their different countries as they meet to uh worship together and to um you know be discipled and uh so we basically come alongside of them we do whatever whatever they ask us we try to do whatever they ask us to do because we figure we don't want to be this western organization that comes and says we know what you need and move over and we'll do it for you we work alongside of local partners who are there because they're the ones that can be there in many of these countries you can't go as a missionary and so we find these local partners that are already doing the work of god we come alongside of them and say what is it that you need and what can we do for you and they then we resource them in that way and and we also advocate on their behalf in our own country. I just met with an MP earlier this week where we brought him petitions that were done by, you know, supporters of Open Doors in Canada, petitions that were signed and were delivered to our government so that they would advocate on behalf of parents of children who have been abducted, Christian children who have been abducted in Nigeria. And so we're asking our politicians here if you are in touch with anybody from Nigeria the politicians in the embassies or anywhere like that then um, you know speak to this issue because Christians are being abducted Christian children are being abducted from schools and not being returned to their families the other significant thing we do is that we publish what's called the world watch list we publish that in January of every year. And that's a ranking of the top 50 countries in the world where it's most dangerous to live as a Christian.
1: What are the top five countries?
0: Oh, the top five. It's uh, Afghanistan, North Korea. North Korea was actually uh, number one for like 20, 21 years. And this the story this year is that Afghanistan actually moved to the top and North Korea went uh, number two. Now that's not to say that uh, things have gotten better for North Koreans. In fact, it, got, it had gotten worse. But with the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan this past year, and all that we learned about that, and the, and the research that was done and collected, it, it just kind of put um, Afghanistan just a little bit ahead of North Korea. They were they were head to head for for many many years actually for a number of years, and now. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen this year, of course, uh, because things have settled down in in Afghanistan. So we'll see if it's going to be Afghanistan or North Korea this year. But, uh, yeah, it's it's amazing to see, um, you know, the levels of persecution in some of these areas. Uh, Nigeria is uh, number one for violence against Christians. And people get that confused because automatically when we, in the West, when we talk about persecution we our minds automatically go to um violence you know and, and and the truth is there is violence but um there's also you know we we categories in two different categories like what we call the the squeeze and the smash and uh we measure all of those things to come up with the top 50 but um nigeria certainly tops the list for the smash because there are people dying, Christians dying daily in Nigeria because of, uh, of violence there. Crazy.
1: Let me ask you this. As you go and you meet with um, these people or like as you hand a Bible to someone in one of these persecuted places, like one of these, you know, top 50 places, what does that mean to them? Like when you hand them a Bible and then what is that like for you or, or your colleagues when you hand them
0: that Bible? Bring us into that world. It's exhilarating and humiliating at the same time. It's it's exhilarating in that, you know, you see the reaction on their face because before they may have only had a page of the scriptures and they would circulate those among one another. Over time, they would get another page and somebody else would take this page and so on. So to get their own Bible is incredible for them. They are in tears, I mean, they're just weeping over the fact that they could have their own Bible. And I say humiliating in that I mean I mean, it humbles me, you know, because I think I have how many on my shelf here? you know I, I was a pastor for so many years, and I have a collection of Bibles, you know and uh, and here some of these people, you know are just just have a, a few verses. and so it, it's really incredible to see them when they. Receive the word of God. It it can be very dangerous as well for them to to have that Bible, and we're aware of that. You know, we we hand it to them, but uh, we're handing them something very dangerous for them to have. Because, for instance, in North Korea, if you're found with a Bible in possession of a Bible, your whole family and extended family will definitely be sent to a hard labor camp. Wow, without question, you could even lose your life for owning a Bible. And that's why this would be interesting for so many people. You know, in North Korea, we say, why are there no Christian children in in North Korea? And, And that's not really true. But the reality is, is that most Christians in North Korea find it too dangerous to tell their little children that they're born into a Christian home because the whole state is, the whole propaganda engine and everything is basically designed to get that information from these children and so when they go to school and they have no option they can't they don't have the option of homeschooling like it's like well you know i'm just going to pull my kids out and homeschool them. you can't do that in north korea this is a dictatorship and so you know children will be asked certain diagnostic questions in their home like you know do you have a black book in your house and You know, what does it look like and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I met with a girl in the UK a couple of years ago before COVID. And um, she found herself in a real dilemma because um, as a young person in school, she was in high school and she found a Bible in her house. And her first instinct, because of the way she was indoctrinated, because you're loyal first and foremost to the supreme leader more so than you are to parents. And so she talked to me about the absolute conflict that she was in when she found that Bible because she felt that it was her obligation to report that. And so her parents realized what happened, intervened, spoke to her and said, you know, just wait, 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 we'll explain to you. And they started sharing with her the gospel and everything. Thankfully, she came... faith in christ and she was able to get out of north korea but you know (laughs) we have no idea in in north america we talk we think about you know not being able to meet together as being persecution well nobody's denying you having a a meeting online or live streaming services and so on like this or a bible in your hand (laughs) yeah so i mean you know we're not denied our our right to worship it's just that you know, we have certain guidelines that we had to follow that the government put out, but you know, to call it persecution is really almost an insult to these people that I'm talking about today.
1: Yeah, that is absolutely crazy. Now, when you guys hand out Bibles, do you guys have different like covers on them? Like you call it something else, like Homer's Iliad or a different piece of literature that people can, you know, maybe it's not a black cover, but it's a red book and it and it looks like A hundred different recipes or something that maybe a kid won't open up do you guys call the bible something
0: different yeah we we use very different creative ways to be able to to get these bibles out and of course you know these days we live in a digital world and so we're able to provide it you know on um, a, a digital means as well so you know we we have moved you know from being primarily a bible smuggling ministry to really responding to the needs of persecuted Christians around the world in so many ways. And Bible distribution and Christian literature distribution is just one of the ways that we do it.
1: Yeah. Now, as we think about, you know, we're moving into that digital age, we're in that digital age, and and technology is only expanding dramatically every day, like exponential growth um what is the future of smuggling bibles look like is it like sending a a pdf because uh i'd love to hear your thoughts on that
0: well you know one of the things that we use a lot is a is an app which again is nondescript people can't open it unless they have a certain password and so on so it's only the person that say that young adult that has it that would be able to open that and they were able to to get the the scriptures that way that's one of the ways. I mean, we did go through a period where we were giving them, you know, on a, on a USB flash drive type thing, you know, the scriptures that way. But um, the app, which is, I don't know how it all works because I'm not inclined that way, but I know that it's ultra secure so that another person could get their phone and not necessarily be able to hack into that Bible very easily. You know to elaborate on digital the digital age i mean it is also causing some problems when it comes to us doing our work because now we have all these biometrics and all of the different things you know countries are using more and more and so these are becoming forms of persecution in a way Uh, i think in particular like of china you know in china Every church now has a camera, a short circuit TV camera at the front. It's by government regulations. You have to have it. And if you're under 18, you're actually not even allowed to go to church or to a religious gathering at all. It's illegal to do that. And everybody that comes in, they have facial recognition. So they know who's coming and who's going from all of these different churches that are Set up. There are, uh, of course, many underground churches and so on, but they're cracking down so much on that. But also, like, you know, uh, we worry even w- in doing our work going into different countries because now a lot of these countries also have facial recognition in their airports. So as you go through their customs, they scan your face, they get the whole profile on you. Oh, oh you're Gary Stagg. You work for Open Doors Canada. You work for, you know, an organization that is blacklisted in our country. And so it makes it very dangerous for for us as well. Uh, Of course, you know, when it comes to technology, it can be wonderful, but it can also uh, cause some problems for us that way.
1: Yeah, no kidding. It could be a game changer. And also the game is changing against as well, which is, I mean, the fight continues. Yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. Okay, so are you noticing lots of young people coming to faith in these persecuted countries? Because we always hear the stats that like the church is growing the fastest in these persecuted places. Yeah. Do you find it's among the young people?
0: Yeah, very, very much so.
1: Why do you think that is? Why, why young people as opposed to middle age or older? Uh,
0: you know, I because I think that um, I mean, young, young adults, young people are are pretty much the same wherever you find them. You know, and um, they. Are looking for connection. They're looking for community. They're looking for meaning in life, and they're not finding it where they are and in the confines of the religions that they're in right now. And so when they hear, I mean, they seek out the message of the gospel. And when they hear the gospel message and they respond to it because it is providing them that sense of connection and, and meaning in their life. You know, that's just the way it is. I mean, I was in North Africa, again, back, I think, in 2017 or 18, and I met these three young guys. And I mean, I I say, you know, they seek out and uh, people are sharing the gospel with them when they feel that it's safe to do so. But God is also moving because some of these people are having dreams and visions of the man in white. And You know, the Lord appears to them and all. And so I met these, this was phenomenal, because I call them now, they, you know, modern day uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, because these guys are doing such a phenomenal work for God. They're just young guys. and But they grew up together. They were like best pals, you know, always hung out together. They were just, it was just the three of them, really tight. So to make a, a long story short, it was that at the same time, God visited them in a dream, unbeknownst to each other. And they noticed things were starting to change a bit. And as one guy kind of got the courage up to say, I've become a Christian and this is what happened to me. The other two said that happened to us as well. And so now they're just being used by God. I mean, the courageous faith of these young people, it's mind boggling to live in a country I can't even mention the name of the country. To live in a country like that and to still be so bold for Jesus, you think, man, this is, this is real. <laughs> you don't have to say in these countries, will the real Christians please stand up? Because uh, why would you when your life is on the line?
1: Yeah, yeah th- those types of people, they impress us but they also question us as to whether we would do the same exactly and i you know i've heard similar stories as well where like you know after um we had a friend who um my wife and i one of our friends she was serving with ywam in lesbos greece when all the people were fleeing i think from isis yeah i can't remember where they're fleeing from but they were coming across in the boats and they were being met there by christians
0: yeah from syria
1: yeah syria right and and You know, we've seen all the photos of people washing up on the beach, but there was, you know, people making it across successfully. And they would come off the boat, and they would run up to these people and and ask them, who was the man walking on the water? Who was the one walking on the water? And here they run to the arms of these Christians who literally could tell them about the man who was walking with them across the water as they're in these boats. And you're just like, how amazing of God to... Meet with people in that way and to show them that kind of love and grace as they're fleeing, you know, it's like they're they're fleeing one religious system and being greeted by the God of grace. Like it's just it's just beautiful and another story too, of like a guy finally working up the courage to invite his co-worker into his office, inviting him in to have a coffee with him. and he's like gonna try and share the gospel with him. and he and he walks into the room with the two coffees to hand one of the coffees to the the friend sees the guy in tears and he's like, oh no, is he going to like turn on me right now? Is he like conflicted? Because he saw this photo of Jesus on the wall. He's like, I'm going to be turned on. And he hands him the coffee and he says, everything okay? And the guy looks at him with tears in his eyes and says, this man visits me in my dreams, right? Like, and you just, you know, I think it was in a Muslim context, but man, God is on the move. He is working through people, and he's working through you guys. And so, you know, we're coming to the end of our, our time here. We could talk more and more and more about that. But maybe, Gary, if you could just give us one kind of final word, like what can young adults be doing to engage and be a part of this this fight for evangelism in these hard, closed-off countries?
0: You know, if you ask persecuted believers, what can we do for you? Of course, the number one thing that they ask, you, could, you would expect them, you know, well, I need a new phone, or I need money. I need whatever. They we never hear that. What we hear always is pray for us and don't forget about us. So I would say, you know, in just educate yourself about what's going on. Go to Open Doors website and educate yourself. Uh, there's lots of opportunities on there to engage. There's a, right now a, a thing where you can go and just follow through, and it takes like five seconds. You can go and 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 put a light on the map saying that you prayed for the Middle East, you know, and Christians in, in the Middle East is called uh, A Million Prayers of Hope, and um, I mean, just we've all kinds of different ways that you can you can do that. There's IDOP Sunday, which is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church coming up on November 6th. Sunday, November 6th, we have an annual day every year where we Have people take the pledge to pray for Christian captives. It's called One with Them. Basically, you know, from that scripture, if one is in prison, then, you know, we're all to consider ourselves to be in prison with them. And if one part suffers, one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. And, you know, be open to learning from persecuted believers, the persecuted church, because, you know, we know things are probably going to get worse in Canada more than getting better when it comes to religious freedoms and so on. There's a lot of secular intolerance, you know, I'm not going to call it persecution yet, but I would say we do deal with a lot of secular intolerance in our country. And I feel, I really feel that as the years go on, the persecuted church around the world are going to become our mentors because we have so much that we can learn from them of how they were able to stand up during these horrific things that they experienced and are still experiencing. And so, I mean, again, we can learn from their courageous faith and how we too can stand up in difficult times and still be counted and not renounce our faith in Jesus. Amazing.
1: Gary, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being on the program. And uh, man, I'd love to have you back on the program and we could just talk more about this and you know, get updates and stuff every year. That'd be something fun to do.
0: Yeah, anytime. God bless. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
1: In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. Through audio programs, articles, and blogs, In Doubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.